Thanks, man. Well, good morning. Glad to be with you this morning. As some of us, we swam in, right? Here's your capo, Rich. Well, take your copy of God's Word, if you would, and join me in Colossians chapter 3. As you're turning there, let me, uh, let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you again from, we, we've, seems like a few of us have prayed this already, but thank you for letting us gather today this, or this morning, and thank you, Father, for Jesus and the gospel. We seek to exalt Christ in all that we do. And as we open up the word this morning to gaze upon him and to exalt him through Uh, the revealed word about him, would you help us? Would you help us be students of your word? Would you help me in proclaiming it, uh, that I would be clear and that your word by your spirit would land in fertile soil and soils of our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may not be aware that your pastor is a real estate mogul, but uh, I have had one occasion in my life where I purchased a rental home and I did so with my brother. I might have learned my lesson. We were living in Copper Hill, Tennessee, above where you put in for the whitewater rafting on the Okoe. And I had found this little house that sat up on top of the hill in the city of Copper Hill, right there smack dab in the middle of things. And it had been vacant for two years. And I thought, that's gonna be a bargain. So we found this house and it looked good on the outside and walked into the house. And the first thing I noticed was that everything in this house from floor to ceilings was painted mint chocolate chip green. You can't make these things up. The fireplace, the shelves, the walls, everything in the kitchen, kitchen cabinets, everything. I don't know if the prior owner had, you know, in her old age might have, I don't know, came across a bargain or just had a need that everything was going to be that. But my brother and I bought this house. He lived there in the town at the same time. And we bought the house. And frankly, I put everything I had into this little house and uh, not just finances, but time. I mean, we went in and we were doing all kinds of things to the interior of that house to make it look normal and livable and when we finished after that process I was quite pleased with it and we let it be known that it was available and in short order we had a our first tenant a young man and his wife and baby and actually they were on the staff of the church where I was and they moved in and the house did I mention the house had been vacant for two years before I bought it well they moved in and uh, that night upon their moving in and getting settled, I get a phone call. And the dude's name was Scott, and it was late at night, late for me, maybe 10 o'clock, and I, we're already in the bed, and he calls and says, hey, Chris, we, um, we have a problem. And I said, we have a problem. Is this the kind of problem that, like, hey, we have a problem, this can wait till tomorrow, come by, or we have a problem, you need to get here right now, we have a problem. And I said, no, I think it can wait. I said, well, okay, I'll, I'll come by in the morning. Anything I need to bring? He said, I, you know, I don't know, toolbox, whatever. So I loaded up the truck, and I had 
resolved in my mind as the youngest born, which I reiterate often in your presence, that I would not let my older brother know that we had a problem. I was just going to handle it and let him know after the fact. So I drive over to the uh, place. Mom, I don't know if you've ever heard this story, but I drive over to the house, park my pickup truck right there in the front of the thing, grab my toolbox like every handyman has, and I walked up to the steps, put it on the front porch, and when I went to ring the doorbell of the home that I owned, half of, a smell hit me right in the face. Not a perfume smell. So I... Ring the doorbell, Scott comes to the thing. He doesn't even speak. He just opens the door and points to the area uh, that led to the stairs down to the basement. And I went, wow, Scott, there's a, there's a, there's a smell. He said, this way, Chris. And I, I went through the kitchen, and there's the basement door. And still resolved to fix the problem, walked down the steps. And for some reason, I, I would say the grace of God, maybe the Spirit was speaking to me, I was encouraged in my heart to reach around and turn on the light before I took that last step to step into the basement, which was just one room at this place. And when I did, I realized that the whole... Here's what I'm going to say. I'm just going to say that that which should have flowed freely to the city had chosen to take up residence in the basement and the floor was not solid but it was flowing. So light, see the sight. I resolved to make a new decision. I went upstairs, borrowed a phone, called my brother. We have a problem. And after a long time, listen, you cannot fix something like that passively. We just had to get in the middle of it and kill it. What's interesting to me is that's been a spiritual marking lesson for the remainder of my life since then. Because we eradicated that problem by getting to the source and just killing the root system that had clogged things up, preventing things from flowing, if you know what I mean. And then we went to the Dollar General store, which every town has, and we bought them out of Clorox. And we just went in and scrubbed after the problem was fixed. Clean, clean, clean. You can't fix some things passively and you can't fix them from a distance. And most problems such as that, they're a take care of it right now kind of problem. And that somewhat sets the table for what I want to share with you this morning. In verses chapter, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, in our passage last week, Paul provided this bridge from the doctrine of the supremacy of Christ to the practical living out of our new life. And he challenged us two things, with two things. Seek heavenly things and think heavenly things. This morning, he takes the next step into the practical side of how to do that, um, teaching those things. And how do, we, how do we live out this earthly life as, as people whose lives are hidden with Christ in God? And as we see, this will involve us being willing to kill sin. Not passively, but aggressively kill sin and to see people the way that God sees people. So allow that gross story, which I spared you the details of, to sit as a kind of a backdrop as we walk through this passage, if you would. 
Follow along with me as we read uh, Colossians chapter 3 and walk through a text that's very simple to understand, but it is very pointed in its direction and pointed in its instruction. Um, Let's read together or follow along as I read, I should say. This is the word of the Lord. Put to death, therefore, starting at verse 5, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This is the word of the Lord, and I want to have a few minutes to talk to you about it. I've broken this up into two parts. So if you're a note taker, Xander will help us follow along here. But the first one is one idea, two pictures. One idea, two pictures. And the second part that we'll get to in just a moment um, is this this idea of um, one image and many people. So the first is one idea, two pictures, and the second half of our time will be one image, many people. Let me do it this way and and break up this one idea into this two pictures. The first picture I'd like to talk to you about is that of a ruthless executioner. A ruthless executioner. And the second one that we'll get to in just a moment is that of a picky fashionista. A picky fashionista. So let's deal with the first one first. And that's this idea of a ruthless executioner. Paul says it this way. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. In other words, kill it, mortify it, stop it, and be aggressive in your battle against sin in your life. Don't let it remain, right? We cannot overestimate the seriousness of, that Paul is calling us to take to kill the sin and the tendency to sin that remains in our lives. Let's focus in on our text this morning. As as Paul makes his instructions very clear, and and you can even see it, and, and he offers, as we've read, two lists. Each list has five vices um, in it, and all of them are calling us to put to death sin, right? You'll notice in the first list, that four of them involve sexual sin and one involves covetous desires. Um, And it seems like in this first list that they appear to progress from less comprehensive to more comprehensive as we go. We'll we'll look at them one at a time, um, but we won't get bogged down in the list as the whole of that list, um, it, it really flows from our earthly nature. Okay, the first thing in this list, if you're taking additional notes, you might want to write this. I am to die to sexual sin. I am to die to sexual sin. And 
And, and by that, I, I mean, not that we need to necessarily define what he means when he says sexual immorality, but this, this, this lust of the flesh is no longer to be the occupation of my heart as it was before Christ. Um, sexual immorality. This is pretty self-explanatory. It refers to fornication, illicit sexual intercourse, gratification in general. And then he goes on to impurity. Think of this as uncleanness. Some of your versions may actually say uncleanness in a moral sense or just lustful living, right? Um, I hesitate to use the term dirty-minded, but it really is this prospect and process and idea of the things that we are taking in on the sensual side that feed and, and, and uh, give gratitude to our flesh sexually. The third thing is passion that he mentions. And this is obviously speaking of really misdirected and lustful passions and desires. Um, I would invite you to turn to Romans chapter 1. Because Paul refers to these kind of misdirected passions in Romans 1, and he'll refer to them there as dishonorable passions, and he elaborates it by saying this. So if you turned to Romans chapter 1, you might direct your attention to Romans 1 verse 26 and 27, where in that passage Paul writes this. For their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. What I'm pointing out to you there, and I'm drawing this connection to Romans, not so much to highlight homosexuality, but where, where we say this, they've exchanged natural relations for that that are contrary to nature. What I want you to see is and, and what I'm trying to highlight by going there is the digression away from God's design that sin will always lead to. And we kind of see that digression in this, this list of vices in Colossians chapter 1. I, I, I want to I pound here for a second. When enjoyed within the marriage relationship, sex is a good gift from God to be enjoyed, Right? But sin will always seek, whether it's in sexual um, aspects of our earthly lives or any aspect of our earthly lives where uh, we, we take matters into our hand and try to redefine it. But sin will always seek to redefine God's good gifts and, and conform it into our own image, right? And at best, that redefinition is always a gross mutation of God's intention. Move on into this list and you'll see this last thing is evil desire. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, and then this fourth thing, evil desire. Warren Wiersbe writes about this evil desire that it is clear that desire leads to deeds. Appetites lead to actions. If we would purify our actions, he says, then we must first purify our minds and our hearts. 
Thus, Paul's introduction to this passage that we saw in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Seek heavenly things, think heavenly things, right? What we desire usually determines what we do. Unless by God's grace and by His Spirit, we take those desires and put them to death, right? Now, the, the fifth thing in this list is... It's kind of a standalone thing, but, but all of them appear to go together, right? And this, this last thing is that I am to die to covetous desires. In other words, when we began looking at this list, we realized that we're to die to sexual sin. The lust of the flesh is no longer to be the occupation of our heart. And now we see that I'm to die to covetous desires. So the love of the world is no longer to be the love of my heart. And he even connects and defines covetousness, as Bill alluded to in his pastoral prayer, with idolatry. Um, it's the last on this set of lists. I don't want to just skirt over these things that we're to put to death. Paul offers similar instructions to deeds and desires of the flesh that we're to put off from our old man vigilantly. Um, not passively jumping right in and putting them to death. And he offers the perfect alternative to that which we used to put on in our old man. And he gives us that in Romans chapter 13. I hate to keep asking you to turn back and forth to places, but I would like for you to look at Romans chapter 13 with me. Romans 13, verses 12 through 14. In this passage, he says, The night is far gone. The day is at hand. I'm at verse 12. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on, listen to this alternative, put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. And now the connection to both lists. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. When Paul writes in verse 14 to make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires, he said, don't put yourself in positions of temptation. If, if, if you're seeking to put to death these these things, these deeds of your flesh, which used to be your norm before you were in Christ. Don't keep putting yourself in the position to uh, be faced with it all the time. Do not make provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Why? Why in this passage? Why, does, why has Paul taken such a, a, a practical turn? Why would he instruct such radical fighting, such radical instruction, such radical surgical removal. Well, in general, he'll, he'll answer that in the very next verses. But Paul knew that if we do not kill sin, sin will kill us. But specifically, notice how he answers that question in verses 6 and 7. The first way he answers that, and you can go back to Colossians chapter 3 with me, verse 6. The first way he answers that is this. To, and, and I would just invite you to 
think about this as we've traveled through Colossians so far. Jesus set aside our record of debt. And He did so having nailed it to the cross, paying for it with His own shed blood. He bore the wrath of God that rightfully mounted against the sin of all people that now trust Him by faith. So He bore that record of sin of the people that now trust Him by faith. For those who reject Christ and continue to rebel against God, like Bill said earlier, the wrath of God is coming and will be unleashed. Verse 6, as we'll look at, stands as a warning for those who need salvation, but it also stands as a motivator for the way we're to live our lives in response to so great a salvation. It also stands as a challenge for us to be vocal with the gospel to those people that we come into contact with. Notice what verse 6 says, on account of these, these what? These things that he's just listed. The wrath of God is coming. Do also note the contrast between on account of these and the things that he's instructed us in verses 1 through 4 to set our minds on. Set our mind on things above. Those two things are in direct contrast. So that's the first specific reason Paul gives us. The second is this, and it's, it's just this blanket truth that I don't walk or live the way that I did before I was saved. God is not content to leave me where I was, we mentioned last week. Notice verse 7. In these, these things, in these you too once walked when you were living in them. Now those are specific ways he's answered the question, why is he taking such a radical approach to crucifying the deeds of the flesh? But would you kind of bear with me as I do a little recap and just suggest three additional reasons that we've already seen in Colossians 1 and 2? I mean, we could, I've, I've written three, we could have written a lot. Okay, but allow these to be motivators and reminders of why we would follow this instruction of putting to death, mortifying, killing um, the things of our flesh. Number one, because of the gospel, our old man was put to death, rendered dead. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3 says this, For you have died... And your life is hidden with Christ in God. I no longer walk or live according to earthly things anymore. Number two, because of the gospel, our heart has been replaced. Do you remember when we talked about a circumcision that's not made with hands? In Him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Our heart has been replaced. Our heart of stone has been replaced and a surgical process through the gospel and spirit has taken place, changing our wanters, changing our desires. But if we, we don't take seriously the, the mandate to be killing sin... It's as if we live in a clean house on the upstairs, but in the downstairs, the basement's filled with... Right? Third reason. Because of the gospel, 
Our citizenship has been changed. Colossians 1, 13-14, you'll remember, says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and He's transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. In essence, think about it this way, the gospel enabled us to enter into the transfer portal, to be welcomed into a new team, to be given a new uniform, and that uniform is the righteousness of Christ, the righteous robes of Jesus, and take on the pattern of living that is consistent with the things of Christ. That's what happened at our salvation. So no wonder Paul is saying, don't be passive with sin. Kill it. Put it to death. Mortify it. Stop it. Paul changes his picture here in the midst of this passage, and he he goes from talking about being a ruthless executioner to being a picky fashionista. Um, so in, I want to chat about this, and I won't be as long here, although we could be, um, by just highlighting this different change in motif here. Look at verse 8 and the beginning of verse 9 with me. Here's what it says. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Notice the language change. It goes from put them to death to put them all away. And, and it's the same picture he uses in Ephesians 4 where we're, we're, we're instructed just like we would take off nasty clothes from a hard long day at work or a, uh, a long exercise that renders your, your stuff just too gross to wear to the dinner table, right? You've got to take it off and put on something new. And that process of taking off the old man is an everyday thing. I'm not a picky fashionista as it relates to my wardrobe. So I'm not the perfect person to uh, make mention of this motif. One of the neatest singing opportunities I've ever been given was to to sing, I was asked to sing, be the vocalist in front of a 50-piece stringed orchestra one time. And it was really cool. I mean, they set up in a, in a gymnasium, and they were all behind us, and um, there was a stage up here, and, and I was, it was cool. I mean, all those string things, and I was, uh, the gym was packed with all their parents and other people from the community. And he had asked me, listen, they're going to be dressed up you'll probably want to wear a tux. I said, okay. And he said, I have a tux you can borrow. So I did not think another thought about it. I mean, not a second thought regarding that crossed my mind until the weekend of this thing. So I go on the Friday to Bill's office and he... He gives me a tux top, tie, a little cummerbund thing, and I think a tux shirt, and he offered me his tux pants, which would have fit me if I was like a two-foot elf, but they did not fit me, and I didn't even, it didn't even, I, it didn't cross my mind to share this information with Shan. I just thought I would 
just kind of make a slight modification at game day. I had invited a buddy of mine to come up from Atlanta because this was a cool thing. And he, he came up and uh, he and my wife were sitting in the den when I went into the bedroom to change to get ready for this cool afternoon. And I thought some black slacks from my, my, my wardrobe would work and I put it on and it clearly was not going to suffice. So I thought to myself, you know, I've seen people, singers and stuff, pull off some wardrobe things if they just confidently mean to. So I put that tuck shirt, cummerbund, tied jacket on and slipped on a pair of blue jeans. And I thought, that'll look like I meant to. And I str- <laughs> strutted into the den And my wife, having lived with me at that point a long time, just looked at me with this odd silence, like I was thinking this was going to work. And my buddy from Atlanta did not remain silent. And he says, oh my goodness, you cannot wear that. And he got up, went into the room and changed out of his black pants, came back wearing something else and said, put these on. And that's what happened. The reason I tell you all of that is Paul is saying, quit wearing wardrobe pieces of sin that do not match the reality of who you are. Regarding the call to mortify sin and to put off the fruits of our old man, R.C. Sproul points out this in the notes of his study Bible. He says, I am to become in practice what I am in principle. I'm to become in practice what I am in principle, and that involves me taking off the old self, that unhealthy anger, wrath, malice, even unsavory speech, slander, obscene talk, the things that were part of my first language, tongue, and way I interacted with other people before I was a Christ follower before I had had heart surgery, before I was redeemed. Even my willingness to lie. Paul's saying, get those jeans off and put on the tux pants that you got when you, got part of, you were, became part of a new team. Through Christ and the work of His Spirit in us, everything about us is being renewed. We're being renewed in knowledge after the image of our Creator. And we can't pick up the phone and make a phone call and say, we've got a problem, but I think it can wait. Paul's saying, no, it cannot. Deal with it right now. Kill it and take it off and put on the new wardrobe that you've been given. This brings us to our last point, and I can be, I'll be quick with this one. It is found in our last verses, and that is one image many people. Notice what verse 9 says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Listen, everything about us as believers in Christ, our sexual appetites, 
our earthly desires, our treatment of others, even our language is being renewed in knowledge after the image of God. When we read that, our minds are supposed to go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, where we're taught that we were made by God in His image and after His likeness. But whereas we were created to mirror and reflect God's nature and His character, the fall tarnished our ability to do so. Jesus, on the other hand, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and He is the exact imprint of God's nature. We've seen that in Colossians, right? He is the fullness of deity. Through His death and resurrection from the dead for our sins, He brought about the restoration of our ability to serve as image bearers. Christ, Jesus, in whom all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, resides in every born-again believer so they may submit to the process and work of transformation and renewable to the glory of God. The gospel and this renewal is not limited to any set of peoples. No matter what they look like, where they're from, um, what they have done. There is no limitations, but it is. The gospel and this restoration is available to all who will trust in Christ by faith that they might find in Him their all in all. Notice this last verse. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. If this is how God sees people with a desire to renew and restore through Christ in the gospel, this must be how we see all people. It's difficult to walk through a passage that calls us to take seriously our sin and to put it to death. But it's timely and it's necessary. And I want to end this walk through this passage just by offering you two points of application as we leave the passage. The two, which I didn't give Xander so they won't be on your screen, but the two points are these. Number one, honestly assess. And the second is humbly confess. So how do we respond to this? I would challenge us that we are to honestly assess and humbly confess. Here's what I mean by the first one. And I take you back to my rental home on purpose. Would you pray and be about the business of praying and ask for the Spirit's help in assessing the state and the the being of your basement. For the sake of your intimacy with Jesus, be willing to be honest in assessing the things in your life that need to be put to death. 
Maybe there are things that are 16 stairs down from the main floor of your life that no one knows about and you're convinced that no one's aware about. And if no one knows, how could it be hurting me or anybody else? It does and it is. And Paul's saying, kill it. And I would challenge you to honestly assess praying and asking the Spirit to reveal those things to your heart. And upon doing that, and that's a process, but upon doing that, number two, humbly confess those to God. Confess Him as sin. Walk in forgiveness that our faithful God provides through Jesus who conquered all. And, and, and even consider confessing that before your Christian brothers and or sisters. And I'm sorry to say you have to be careful with, whom, with how you do that. Right? So it's not an airing of your stuff. But if you've got some things in, your, in the basement of your life, if you'll forgive me for continuing to go there, and, and you're confessing that before the Lord, and you need a Christian brother or sister to come alongside you and continue to pray that you would walk by faith in the victory that Jesus provided on the cross to, to get dressed out of blue jeans and put on the tux pants that Jesus has provided or to put to death the sin that still lingers, confess that to a brother or sister and have them pray with you constantly and often about that issue. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Honestly, honestly assess and humbly confess. Let me conclude by saying this. Remember with hearts of gratitude that Christ alone had and has a perfectly clean basement. Trust even your imperfections to Him. Exalt Him who in your weakness is strong to help you fight sin and run to righteousness by His grace and for His glory. Let's pray and we'll conclude with a song. As your heads are bowed, I offer myself to you, especially men, to be the ear and praying heart that comes alongside you, men, should there be things in your life that you desire by God's grace to trust Him in faith to help you put to death. As your heads are bowed and you're praying to the Lord in preparation for us to sing, I do hope that you will be willing to honestly assess and humbly confess. Ladies, I don't volunteer a lady for you, but I have confidence there are a lot of ladies in our church who would joyfully come alongside you and, and partner with you by God's grace and through the power of the Spirit as you seek to do that which Paul has instructed all of us to do. 
put to death and take off and put on. Would you consider that this morning as we pray and as we sing? Heavenly Father, thank You for perfect Jesus who with no sin in His life bore our sin. Even the remnants of the sin that we struggle to put to death and take off. Would You by Your grace continue to be our strength so that in our weakness we can continue to submit to the reforming and restoring and transforming work that You're doing in each and every one of us. We want to be presented before You. um, And we want to live our lives before You and on Your behalf as image bearers of Your grace. In Jesus' name, Amen.